Hello and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. My name is Catherine King and I'll be your host. Welcome to season three. It's absolutely lovely to have you joining us. In this series, we will be talking to executives and thought leaders from a range of industries, departments and functions, all about their passions, experiences and challenges within data and analytics. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Business of Data podcast. This week we are chatting all about analytics, ops and future thinking. Now to do just that, we have brought in the wonderful Laura Spencer, who is the head of data and analytics for Sendle. Now, a few intro facts if you haven't had the pleasure of meeting Laura. Now, she is Sendle's very new head of data and analytics. Now, if you haven't heard of the company before, Sendle is the first 100% carbon neutral shipping carrier in the US and Australia, specifically designed to serve the needs of small e-commerce businesses. Now, before joining Sendle, Laura held roles within Ibotta as well as before that, Disney. And uh, if you can't find Laura at her work desk, you best, your best bet would be to head outdoors where she'll either be hiking or skiing, depending on what the season is. Laura, it's lovely to have you joining us today. Thanks, Catherine. It's great to be here. Super. Now I do, and again, we have to start the bog pub with a nosy question. It is tradition. Now, along with hiking and skiing, which I'm very, very adventurous, I believe I'm right in saying you're a keen hula dancer as well, aren't you, Laura? Absolutely. Yep. Wonderful. What attracted you to hula? Sure. So I spent part of my undergrad actually at the University of Hawaii and I took a few classes there and just was hooked. Uh, Luckily, when I moved back here to Colorado, there were a few hula groups and I was able to keep dancing. But I really just love the strong sense of community and support. Uh, It's also challenging and I enjoy finding opportunities, you know, to continue to learn and grow. Wow. I think you, I'm going to be bold and say you're probably the first hula dancer we've had on. I might get an email now from a previous guest saying, hey, no, I've been doing it, but that's awesome. I love that. And the the best part about my job is finding out these weird and wonderful facts about my brilliant guests. So there we go. We, we've started off on, on the right uh, foot. Let's see what else we can discover throughout this episode. So set the scene for me, Laura. What does analytics ops mean to you? And, uh, and do you think that this is what everyone means when they use the term? Often when we, when we talk about different concepts on the BOD pod, there can be kind of a range of understanding of what it means. So, so let's start out there. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so analytics ops really to me, I think about it as a set of strategies, frameworks, and it's really all about operationalizing analytics, right? So this could be creating a scalable and sustainable way to deploy a model into production, uh, being able to manage and maintain that model over time, all these types of activities. Uh, As far as the second part of your question, I think it's a relatively new term. I haven't heard a ton of people using it yet, but those that I have, it seems at least at the high level, the concept seems to be consistent, right? It's kind of taking some of those best practices that we've learned from engineering in the form of DevOps and and other uh, concepts and really applying them into the analytics realm. And the differences lie more in the implementation of it. Right, right. Yeah, I think it, I think you're, you're completely right. It's fair to say it's a fairly new new term. Uh, so, so very interesting. What would you say are the key benefits of working according to the analytics ops principles? Yep, so the benefits, as I mentioned, the heart of it is really getting analytics work operationalized. And I think that's a goal that really needs to be core to any data and analytics team. So I'd like to share a quick phrase with you that I heard a few years ago and has really stuck with me around this. And that is analytics without action is just expensive artwork. 
right? So for analytics to provide benefit, it really needs to be embedded in the company's day-to-day -day processes, in their decision-making processes. Uh, it's too, uh, too often that good analyses just grow out of date because they're not automated or, or good models go unused because they can't make their way into this, you know, a stable production environment. And analytics ops is really all about enabling companies to do this, right? And as I mentioned, in, in a scalable and sustainable way. Mm. Absolutely. I, I always know when there's a good soundbite because instantly I think that would make a good t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't say how nerdy you'd have to be to wear such a t-shirt, but I think it would make a good t-shirt slogan. So uh, if anyone wants to reach out, then uh, please do. But uh, yeah, absolutely, and I, th I think that's such a such a great way of just really uh, confining that that idea. So it's a fairly new term. How would you describe the general maturity of analytics ops within your industry? Are there many companies that are doing it really really well? Yeah. So honestly, I don't I don't think so. I think very few companies are are really excelling at these, and and the ones that are. Um, I've seen have been more of the tech companies, right? Again, because a lot of these principles come from that software engineering background. And so in general, more frequently, I find analytics are done you know, in a one-off fashion, not automated, um, or models are never put into production. I think I heard a stat uh, around 70% of the models that we produce are never really used by the business, right? Um, it's more of an ad hoc, one-off basis. Mm -hmm. So I think there's very few companies. I think there's really an opportunity here. Absolutely. And I think it begs the question, if you're making that, there's such a huge percentage of models not being used. Is it a case that there's been some communication error there that models are being made, but actually the business isn't really wanting them right now? And it's a case of that conversation needs to happen two ways of these are the issues and you got you guys going in and demonstrating how you can fix them or presenting user cases to say we can apply this to different areas as well. I think that kind of communication between both analytics and, and the business can be a, a, a an issue as well so yep, my, oh yeah go on i was just gonna say absolutely yeah having having that strong partnership uh with everybody your stakeholders in the business and really making a strong case you know it, it's like making a business case for any other area of data and analytics really focusing in on what's in it for them what are the value uh what's the value excuse me that they're going to see out of these types of, of practices Absolutely. Now, my last question in, in the theme of setting the scene for this discussion, Laura, when it comes to analytics ops, how do you think data analytics leaders should be promoting this kind of thinking organization wide as we've just you've just hit the nail on the head there by saying that the value discussion so people understand it, but how, how ought they be communicating this out to the to the wider organization? Sure. Yep. So as I mentioned, I think this really should be a foundational pillar uh, of a data and analytics team. And internally, you know, sometimes I find you often have to sell it to your own team um, as they're in the day to day. Just let me get get things done. I've got a laundry list. There's always more demand than there is supply for analytics teams. But really focusing on, again, it's going to improve their day to day. It's going to reduce repetitive tasks. It's going to reduce the impact of fire drills that are going to come up from unmon unmonitored systems that are breaking. Uh, it increases the value that they can drive across the business. Yeah. But really focusing on the rest of the organization, as I mentioned, I view it similar to promoting any other data and analytics initiative and really start small, right? So start with a few proof of concepts. For example, an easy place is often to look at some of your ad hoc requests. Look at one or mm -hmm. two that are probably candidates for automation, right? And these quick wins then can help you build some momentum for really that future investment. Absolutely. So we've done a good job there of setting the scene of, of analytics ops. 
Now let's let's move into kind of what's the barrier of adoption. As we, as we've touched on there, after the year of 2020, understanding and justifying value in anything is absolutely paramount. Um, I mean, so so many organisations have seen such a shift in in what they are able to do due to the constraints of of the pandemic, whether that be financial or physical or whatever. And, and you've mentioned there that so many organizations are yet to adopt this agile way of thinking and doing. So what are the key barriers to analytics ops adoption that you can identify, Laura? Yep. So one of the key barriers that I've seen is really that initial investment, right? And the associated impact on cost and speed. It's going to be much quicker just to run something ad hoc than to take the time to automate it. Uh, but really by automating, you're trying to empower the stakeholders long-term, right? They're going to be able to track these things over time. Uh, you're going to save your team time longer term and fewer ad hoc requests and hopefully driving more value because you're enabling data-driven decisions through better democratization of the mm -hmm. data. Uh, I think the other key barrier that I've seen is actually around skill set. So this is really not a typical skill set for most analytics practitioners to have. Uh, if you think about, let's say, standard analytics or data science coursework, for example, it's largely one-off ad hoc projects that are meant to teach a very specific analytical methodology. Mm -hmm. It's not focused on things like version control, coding best practices, efficiency, scalability, those types of things. Uh, so what we've done in, the, in previous companies that has really helped is to bring on software engineers who are interested in the data and analytics space, and they can really help bridge this gap by bringing some of the best practices from their space. And I mean, the next natural question I have from that is bringing on software engineers sounds simple, but I know there is a bit of a talent gap or, you know, some people would debate it and say that it's just the way that we're that we're going out to the market with requiring the right roles. Is that something that, that you experienced as well is actually software engineers can be hard to come across in order to, to get them into this area? Absolutely. And so what what's is, what has helped for me is to look internally, actually, okay. folks that know your systems, right, they helped build the product itself. And a lot of them are starting to get really intrigued by concepts like machine learning, right, that's becoming a, a blend of an analytics organization and an engineering organization. And so um, I found that there tends to be a lot of intrigue uh, among the engineers and finding somebody internally and kind of bringing them on board has been the way that I found success with that. That's really interesting to look internally and and I, I want to say upskill, but kind of uh, realign kind of their, their uh, mission that they've been on and actually looking at people's passions as well, as you say, and see what uh, see if they've got passion to continue down that that line. It sounds far more effective uh, for, for certain. Now, when we caught up prior, I know we had a discussion about uh, I think we said that some. Some say the days of having one huge data analytics solution are gone. Uh, remember, we, we discussed this. Now, companies now need to have multiple technologies. And I wonder if you could uh, share your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. It really is more about creating a suite of solutions that are going to best address your key business problems. Uh, one, one great example of this, there's a lot of work around events and real-time analytics right now. Um, but businesses also still need to understand their long-term trends. And this very different level of aggregation and granularity can be really challenging to implement with a single visualization tool. But that said, I'm also going to caution against a proliferation of tools, right? So each tool is going to add incremental cost. It's going to add incremental maintenance, incremental cognitive load for the business. Uh, if you've got multiple dashboarding tools, you need to make sure your stakeholders know where to get the information. Um, so it's really important, again, to, to make sure each tool has, has a very specific purpose. 
uh, within within your suite of solutions. Absolutely, it's finding that balance, isn't it, between just having one mammoth solution versus hundreds of smaller ones and being overwhelmed by, as you say, the costs, but also the, the very practical elements as well. Now, just to just to bring the conversation back to the to the team element. Now, obviously, as you've said, building cross-functional teams is a core pillar of analytics ops. Now, you mentioned there about the, the bringing the software engineers in to add that kind of layer of skill into the group. Um, is, is there anyone else that you'd, you'd be looking to have uh, to create that cross-functional team in order for analytics ops to be really, really used well within an organization? That's a great question. I think, you know, all of your kind of core uh, skill gaps are still really important within this vision. So folks that, you know, data engineering as an example, folks with a more of a front end or a visualization component, folks that have some of the modeling background, all of those types of skill sets are really important. I think what's even more important though is to not create silos in this process. And that may sound a bit counterintuitive, right? It's a cross-functional <laughs> team. Uh, but what I mean is don't simply rely on the software engineer to do all the infrastructure work. Right? Don't rely on your ML engineer to do all of the modeling work. Really ensure there's opportunities for team members to grow and develop all of the skills that are needed in this space, because there's a reason you have all of them, and you're going to make a stronger team if people can, can spread out from just that, that one core focus. Absolutely. Brilliant. So, I mean, there's going to be lots of people listening in who, who are yet to adopt Analytics Ops. So I think it'd be good to, to hear a bit about your story and, and how it's been for you. So how easy was it for you to secure buy-in from your executive team to adopt Analytics Ops principles across, across the wider data team? How did that conversation first go for you? Sure. So as, as you mentioned, I'm relatively new at, at Sendle, so I'll actually use an example from a previous company uh, to answer this question. And, and that company was very much a technology company, right? Mm -hmm. So they already had a very strong dev culture and it embraced very similar philosophies on the software engineering side. So from that perspective, I think the CTO really understood why we'd want to go do this. The more challenging part was really working with stakeholders, you know, again, setting appropriate expectations around timelines and priorities as we've talked about, following these principles often have longer upfront lead times while leading to efficiencies later on. And so having that solid partnership, the communication that you talked about with your stakeholders, again, focus in really on what's in it for them. What is the value that they're gonna find long-term in this transition? Brilliant. Now, I mean, it's fantastic that the experience that you've had is you've almost had one step ahead by at least some people understanding the, the value of it. What would be your advice to someone who's going in and perhaps, you know, they're, they're further back in their journey, but they know they want to be uh, they know they want to be uh, doing analytics ops in the future? What would be kind of the starting point or, or the noises that you'd start to make uh, in, in preparation for for driving this forward? Are there any key things that you recommend to to those uh, those executives? Yes, absolutely. Um, again, I think really find the pain points because those are often easier to sell across the company, right? So maybe it's maybe it's a data pipeline that keeps breaking on you, right? And so you're struggling to have good quality up-to-date information uh, day in, day out, or maybe it's your uh, executives are finding those data issues on the dashboards, right? That's not a situation any of us wants to be in when you get a call from the CEO that says, why does this dashboard look wrong? So find, find those pain points and then understand how analytics ops can really help you with that. And again, kind of start small and have some of those wins and start to build the momentum. Super. Now we we spoke a little bit there about um, the kind of 
hard skills, if you were, of, of what makes a, a good analytics op team. But are there any particular soft skills that you'd be looking for? And I know you said you look internally a lot of the time to to, to fill the gaps. But if, if you were hiring tomorrow, for example, what would be the soft skills that you'd be looking for someone to really embrace and, and work well with analytics ops? Absolutely. I So one of them is really looking for somebody who's driven, who's hungry to learn. You know, as we talked about, embracing analytics ops is going to mean learning new skills, stepping outside of your area of uh, expertise. And so it's really important that, that people are comfortable and, and excited about that. Um, I look for somebody who's going to be a really good team player, somebody who is mm -hmm. humble and willing to learn. And lastly, communication. We've talked about it a couple of times, but that is so important, right? We need folks that can really take some of these more complex topics and distill them into very clear and actionable information when talking with your stakeholders. Now, it's interesting you bring up uh, uh, kind of the communication as a soft skill, because I'm, I'm interested to know how has COVID played into uh, what you do as a team? I mean, you mentioned it at the top of the conversation about you don't want to create silos. You want to make sure that everyone is, is communicating and learning from each other. But I'm assuming at least partly you've been working from home. I don't know whether you're back in the office now or not. Uh, so so how has, has that adapted uh, the way that you work as a team as well? Sure. So yeah, really finding the right set of team ceremonies, I think is important. And honestly, that's going to differ team to team. Some work really well with async communication using Slack or another tool. Mm -hmm. uh, others really need the structure of something more like a daily standup where you're getting on a Zoom call, a video call uh, day to day. But as a leader, personally, one of the things I've found most important is to continue to try to connect the dots, right? These random encounters aren't happening anymore as they would in an office environment. And so regularly asking things like, have you talked to Renee about this? You know, she might have some really good insight or have you reviewed your ideas with Tony? He's done something uh, similar or parallel work that might be really helpful. Uh, so kind of creating those encounters that people wouldn't typically have, especially in this remote environment. Absolutely. You're certainly not the, the first leader to tell me that essentially your job has moved more into that switchboard exercise of knowing what's going on around the team and making sure you are connecting the dots, as you say, um, in order to make sure that the team do stay connected, because I think uh, we, we they've called it the Corona coaster, haven't they, uh, rather sweetly, where I think at different points in, in the last year and going into this year, of course, people's communication has either been really great because it's new and everyone's trying to connect but then I've also seen a lot of teams have ended up disconnected because of just the various things that are going on so actually having someone like yourself providing that that uh, that connectivity is is very very interesting so moving on to, to looking at the future now I'm not going to ask you to go and grab a crystal ball uh, because I don't think that's going to be terribly helpful but at least we can speculate as to what might be in uh, in the upcoming future for you. So what's what's next for your analytics ops strategy at uh, at Sendle? Sure. So again, just starting at a at a new company, really in the fact finding stage, right? Understanding the team, understanding the business, what's working, where are there opportunities. So to your point, it's it's tough to say for certain right now, um, but really everything that I've learned about the value of analytics ops in my previous roles and making sure that those concepts are incorporated into the overall strategy. And as I mentioned before, really finding those pain points today, finding some quick wins that we can get, we can start to show value with some of these, some of these strategies. 
Now, if you had to pick, say, three key takeaways from our conversation today for an executive who wants to adopt analytics ops practices within their organization, what would those three be? Sure. Um, I think I think the first is really, you know, just at the start, think about your sales pitch to the rest of the organization. Uh, as we've talked about, work is going to slow down at first as you implement these practices. So how are you thinking about getting the buy-in, right? Focus on highlighting the value that the stakeholders are going to get from that, those initiatives. And the second one flows right in line with that. And that's really to start small. You know, don't try to boil the ocean. Pick a few small initiatives where you know you're going to be able to show value to your stakeholders and in a relatively short period of time. And then use that momentum to continue getting buy-in for your additional efforts. And then the last one is really around the skill sets that we've talked about as well. So determine what skill sets you need to accomplish these goals and where the gaps are. And, and as mentioned, seek to fill some of those internally. I, I've often found that's a really good source because you bring folks that have other knowledge within the business, uh, within the different systems, and that can be a great, uh, great synergy. Brilliant. Well, Laura, it's been absolutely lovely catching up with you. And I'm so glad that your uh, first few weeks have been so successful at Sendor. And I wish you the absolute best as you go into a very exciting time uh, with the organization. And I look forward to hearing more about your journey into the wonderful world of analytics ops. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. As always, remember to subscribe to the Business of Data platform to keep up with all of the content that we produce, not just our podcast. Also, remember, if you are listening on Apple or Spotify or any of the other wonderful podcasters, you're able to follow and subscribe here as well to allow you to keep up with every episode that we release. Do follow us on socials as well to engage with other thought leaders just like yourself. But for now, stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.